0: 9 and verse 11. Yours, Lord, in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Thank you, Amy Santagata, for beautifully reading our scripture this morning. What a gift. Okay, so I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you. And you can say the answers out loud or you can keep them to yourself. So here goes Who is the goat of baseball? What about who is the goat? of basketball. Heard the expression, the goat, I didn't know exactly what that meant. I just realized that it meant the greatest of all time after looking it up, of course, on the internet. And you know, you guys might have agreed, or you guys might have had some disagreements as you kind of determined who the goat might be. Well, it probably depended on what the criteria was. Was it the stats? Was it the most wins? Was it the uh, longevity? Was it how many items were sold or how much money was made? There are a lot of discussions that happen around this and sometimes it can even lead to disagreements. I hope I haven't completely lost you because you know I'm so glad the disciples and the people in Jesus' day did not have to worry about anything like that. Who's the greatest? Ha. Huh. <laughs> That's exactly what our text is going to be about this morning. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the reminder of how great you are. God, prepare our hearts to hear what you would have for each one of us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text this morning is Mark 9, 30 to 37. And I want you to imagine that Jesus is walking on a dirt road on his way to Jerusalem, and he is with the 12 disciples. And he is teaching them, and he's actually going to predict his death for the second time. Join me starting at verse 30 to, well, 30 to 34. They left that place and passed through Galilee. They were heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. And Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. And he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. But the disciples did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They went to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Wait, Jesus didn't say, what were you talking about? What were you discussing? He said, what were you arguing about? So clearly, there was some uh, lively discussion, or even disagreement going on. But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So, while Jesus is telling his disciples about what was going to happen, his betrayal, and his death, and his resurrection, they are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You know, maybe they're thinking, well, let's see, if he's gone, uh, we don't really understand the rising again, but if he's gone, then who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the authority in this kingdom he keeps talking about? And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every time Jesus predicts his death, it comes up that the disciples are discussing who is the greatest. I didn't realize how many times until preparing this. Even in Luke chapter 24, so Jesus is with his disciples, and he is sharing the elements and the bread and the cup, and he's talking about his betrayal. And in verse 24, that's Luke 22, in verse 24, a dispute arose between them as to who would be the greatest. Position and status in the kingdom of God were a really big deal for the disciples and the people of that time. So glad that we don't struggle with that today. (laughs) It was not uncommon for people at that time to be ranked. You were ranked on your age, you were ranked on how well you kept the laws, you were ranked by how much you had acquired, and your ranking led to status, and then your status led to where you would sit, and even then where you could speak in a public forum. Jesus and his contemporaries lived under what anthropologists call the law of limited good. That there really was not enough good to go around. That everything had its limits. So the tangibles, food, water, spices, wealth, land, were limited. And even the intangibles of goodness and mercy and justice and forgiveness were limited. Because if your neighbor did well or had something, that means the supply was depleted for everyone else. You know, imagine a banquet table. At that time, it would have been a horseshoe, kind of banquet tables with a big horseshoe. And the host was in the center. And then the person on the right would have the highest place of honor. And then the person on the left would have the second highest place of honor. And then the person to the right of the person on the right would have the next highest and so on and so on until it got to the least important, the lowest place of honor at the table. So simply put, the disciples are jockeying for the highest, most important position at the table, the banquet of the kingdom of God. The position. And Jesus lovingly and opening their eyes and their hearts reminds them again what the kingdom of God is truly about. So, starting in verse 35 to 37. So, sitting down, the posture of a teacher, Jesus called the 12 and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Upside down, right side up kingdom. Jesus takes the law of limited good and the place of highest position and status and rank, and he turns it completely upside down on its head. And he says and emphasizes that it's the servant, that it's in humility, that it is welcoming a child, the last, the least of these. Now, I can only imagine when Jesus put his arm around a child and moved him forward, moved the child forward, people would have gone, a child. Because a child had no status at that time. In the Greco-Roman world, the child was the least of these. They had no uh, title. They had no authority. They had no ranking. They had no wealth. They were the vulnerable. They were uh, the ones in need, the weakest. And and, uh, biblical scholar John Stott offers, Children are not to be excluded because they characterize the required attitude of a true disciple. The young child is entirely dependent upon the parent. Total trust is the center of the child's existence. I wonder if we are being invited to trust and depend on God as the center of our existence. I wonder if we were to read this passage in today's language, it might say, You are enough. I see you. I know you and I love you, not because of what you have done or not done, not because of your status, not because of your titles, not because of your achievements or your perceived failures. It's because it's my love and compassion for you. And we believe, as we believe, and I know it feels like it takes a lifetime to truly believe, when we believe and experience that love and compassion, then we extend it to one another. As Jesus said, Love one another as I have loved you. See one another the way I see you with love and compassion, not judgment. Mike Iaconelli is a pastor and author, and he reminds us in his book, Dangerous Wonder, the grace of God levels us all. All of us are broken and flawed and undeserving, and there is no room in the church for pride, judgment, arrogance. All of us have had our debt paid in full, The grace of God says, I will use the least of these to teach about being the greatest. I will take uneducated fishermen and make them fishers of people. I will take people with questionable pasts and use them to share the good news. God's grace does not exist to make us successful. God's grace exists to point people to a love like no other love they have ever known. The kingdom of God is found in the unlikely. The role of a humble servant who cares for and welcomes and is a voice for the last, for the least of these. From Matthew 25, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came. Mother Teresa would say, We can do no great things, just small things with great love. It is not about how much you do, but how much love you put into doing it. So I have an example of a small thing done with great love. At our last Pathfinder Sunday morning, uh, we do this about once a month, families come, and we have a message and craft and growing faith opportunity, and we always have a component of mission. So a few weeks ago, pulling it out, we handed out these one great hour of sharing fish banks. And Katie Sherlock said, uh, she's our mission elder, she said, you know, anything you contribute into this fish box, she said this to all the children and families, will go to help children and families in Syria and Lebanon who have been displaced. They've lost their home. They're refugees, and this collection helps rebuild their homes and gives them food and water and medicine. And she said, you know, doesn't matter how little you give because when we all work together, that God makes it have significant impact. Well, last week, I received a picture from the Neville family, whose children and a neighbor uh, had a lemonade stand. I don't know if you can see the fish banks on the table to respond to the needs and the families and the children in Syria and Lebanon and people they had never met. Look at those smiles. And Mom let me know how excited they were every time someone came to buy lemonade. They would jump for joy, squeals. Not for themselves, but because they knew it would have an impact on the people that they were raising these donations for. Now, here are two other pictures Uh, of young Syrian refugees, and this is before the pandemic, some of whom had attended school for the first time because of one great hour of sharing donations. Look at the joy in the smiles, dancing and celebrating as they are being seen and cared for by people they have never met. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. There, is, there are ways to know, donate to One Great Hour of Sharing. It might be the link in the chat this morning or on the beacon from Friday. Uh, the mission committee has just uh, put this out and encourages all of us, uh, encourage your support. I love the expression, there is no kids' table at the banquet table of God's kingdom. For the past 25 years, I have watched TPC be an example of welcoming children, supporting children, sacrificing for, teaching, baptizing, discipling, leading, caring for, loving, being an active part of worship, scripture readings, Missions reaching out to those all around the world with notes and cards and VBSs. Celebrating faith milestones in his name for God's glory. Because notice in the text this morning, Jesus says, Whoever welcomes a child in my name, In my name when our purpose is to glorify god we do it in his name when we offer the gifts and the talents and the financial resources that god has given us we do it in his name for his glory when we come alongside someone who is sad dealing with difficult loss grieving we do it in his name for his glory. When we come alongside those in need, uh, the least of these, we do this in his name for his glory. When we care for our families, our relationships, our work, our studies, our successes, and our accomplishments, we do it in his name for his glory. It is not for our own sake, where we build our own kingdoms for status, security, the illusion of security, or the fear of scarcity. Will there be enough? Is there enough? Do I have enough? Am I enough? Living in the law of limited goods. Or achieving for the eyes of those around us. Because the rules of that game change all the time. And it is exhausting. Instead, we rest in the abundance of God's unchanging love and compassion. As Tenley said, there is an unlimited supply of God's goodness to go around, never ending supply of goodness. And as we spend time with Him and we listen to Him and we trust and depend on Him as the center of our existence, We become more like him, and we see the world through his eyes. We see ourselves through his eyes of love and compassion, not judgment. Understanding that greatness can be putting the needs of somebody else in front of our own. And understanding greatness can be coming alongside the last, the weak, the least of these for God's glory in His name. In Philippians 2, Paul tells us that we are to have the mind of christ in our relationships and i don't think that's just our primary relationships i think that is in the relationships that we encounter every day fleeting or long and to have the same mindset as christ jesus that jesus taking on the very nature of a servant humbled himself even till death on a cross And then God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, the greatest of all time. Amen.